Hi, you're listening to Perpetual Learning. I'm Manjula Salvaraja. Hey, Manjula, and, and I'm Susan Siva. On the DACA today, we'll be talking about tech companies and their evaluation. Um, I mean, sure, it was fun to be in the space in a bit of bull market run. For sure, people have had a great time. But now that everything's sobered up, I mean, how do you tell what's a good, solid, uh, investment-worthy, attention-worthy company? How can we identify high-quality businesses in in difficult times? Um, also, I need to – this is a strange request I've got to put out to you. I need to talk <laughs> – I need someone – to talk me out of buying a Peloton bike. I'm like really late on the curve. And for some yeah. reason, I have become infatuated with them in the last month and I need someone to talk me out of it. So, so then let's get started. Yeah. Sounds like you're about two years too late, but uh yeah, we can definitely <laughs> chat. <laughs> well, someone's got to bring the company back up. Okay. If I have to do it single-handedly. So, yeah. Hey, describe the times that we're in right now. What are you seeing in the market, uh, specifically with tech companies? Yeah, so I'll start off by saying I'm, I'm by no means an expert, nor do I see the entire tech market. But I'd say, generally speaking, we are seeing a slowdown in the public markets. I'd say the past couple of months, past few weeks have, uh, you know, been pretty obvious and, and, you know, valuations have come down. I think. It's hard to tell what the bottom looks like, but tech companies in particular have been hammered across the board, both public and private. And so, you know, with that said, I'd also keep in mind that tech valuations have run up significantly over the past two years, right? Where, you know, early 2022, late 2021, it was pretty hard to justify some of these valuations and, you know, or perhaps increasingly hard to justify some of these valuations. And it was just always comparative, right? And so very important to keep that in mind and, you know, make sure that you don't really anchor yourself to the past month or the past year, because that could really uh, put you in a challenging position. Yeah, And it's, it's to some degree sort of setting yourself up because it, those numbers were unreal. Right. Yeah, it's just shockingly unreal. Um, now venture capitalist Bill Gurley's been tweeting about this and he tweeted this out. I'm going to read this out to you. Quote, previous all time highs are completely irrelevant. It's not quote unquote cheap because it's down 70%. Forget these prices happen. He goes on to say valuation multiples are always a hack, uh, a hack proxy. What are the issues with with valuation multiples that that people have been looking at? Well, I mean, like I said, it's all relative, and people unfortunately have a short memory, and so you know these declines. Let's take that seventy percent figure. It looks significant, obviously, over a three six month time frame. But you know, when you look at it on a two year time frame or a five year time frame, it's really not so bad. And in fact, you know tech companies have continued to grow now, obviously super volatile. And I think COVID may have pulled forward a lot of the growth for some companies, but for the most part, you know, it, it's not so bad. It's just in the context of the past few months, it just looks like, you know, we're headed for another recession or something more dramatic like that. What's interesting because, you know, I've been kind of, you know, this, this concept of the, the stay at home stocks, Right. And, and mm. they talk 
talked about how some of those, those for multiple reasons, including the fact that they're part of the stay at home stocks, they're kind, they're taking a beating, right? They're taking a yeah. real beating. So it's, 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 um, you know, I always think that, that you have to recognize when you're living through or experiencing an exception and not to design things in your life to exceptions. Right. Um, so you, you know, you don't buy some massive SUV because you need that massive SUV or truck for one day every three years. Like I kind of think that in my life and, and it's interesting to kind of take that approach and think of the, the market that way. What I, what I did love is this idea of looking at revenue and, and understanding that, that all revenue is, is not equal. I mean, that's what you're presenting in this newsletter. Let's unpack that idea that there are high quality revenue companies to be found in the mix. What would be the first indicator that you would look for when you're looking for that, that high quality revenue company? Yeah. So, you know, to give context, you know, it comes from Bill Gurley, Bill Gurley's post on, you know, all revenue not being equal. It's, you know, something that a lot of value investors have talked about in the past as well. And, you know, it starts with competitive advantage and having more importantly a sustainable competitive advantage, right? How easy is it for someone else to provide the same product or service that you provide? And, you know, it's important to understand what are the barriers to entry and, you know, the so-called moat that a lot of people throw around, um, you know, what, what is that like? Is it truly a defensible moat? Is it something that someone can easily imitate? All that kind of stuff. And so, you know, if a, you know, high price revenue multiple company has a wide moat or, you know, a strong market with strong barriers to entry, then, you know, the valuation is presumably strong. Now, if the opposite is true, let's say they have little to no competitive advantage and limited barriers to entry, then they should struggle to maintain or even get to above average price revenue multiples. Now, because the market has run up so quickly and there was a drastic change over the past couple of years, it was tough to tell, you know, which companies truly had strong barriers to entry and a strong enough moat versus others. And, and, we're seeing that correction now. And, and I think we'll continue to see that correction over the next, you know, 12, 18 months. And, you know, as inflation continues to be a factor, companies that are able to increase price with limited change in number of customers or users, you know, will, we'll, you know, that's a pretty strong indicator that, you know, they have a strong, sustainable competitive advantage. So you've mentioned a competitive advantage. Let's talk about, um, customer acquisition and, and retention. I, I'm, I wonder if, if that matters or that's something that, that you should examine when you're, when you're looking through companies. So again, when you're looking for those high quality revenue companies, what do you look for in how they find and, uh, and keep customers? I mean, you know, we typically, and any, you know, investor should typically look at, you know, how, how tightly knit is that customer with the product or service that you're providing? Is it an essential product or service? Is it something that, you know, can be replicated elsewhere um, and, and stuff like that? And then you're also looking at how concentrated is the customer base. And, you know, we see this in the enterprise space a bit more, but there are easily companies that really rely on, you know, two, three, four, five, ten customers 
for let's call it 50, 60, 70% of their revenue. And that obviously indicates a higher risk versus low customer concentration where if one customer leaves, it has a negligible impact on the company. And then you also want to have, you know, or be less dependent on marketing spend as a whole, right? And, and you know, when you compare your know, marketing spend to the growth in sales and essentially looking at kind of how much are you spending, you know, the cost of acquisition to a lifetime value of a customer. I mean, there's a number of metrics to look at here, but ultimately, you know, you, you want to be able to, you know, make sure you get the most out of every dollar when it comes to marketing spend. And so all of those characteristics can really, um, you know, really kind of indicate, you know, whether you have a high quality revenue company or not. Mm. Now, you know that um, Netflix is in the news so much these days. Uh, they've had this this slump in, in, in subscriptions. What do you make of their approach over the years to, to getting subscribers? I'd say, you know, it, it's interesting. I think their approach really hasn't changed. They've spent a lot and invested a lot on content. And I think in years past, presumably, the feeling was that the content would be their defensible moat or their competitive advantage or, you know, essentially create a high barrier to entry. And essentially that thesis has been proven wrong, right? I think we've seen over the past couple of years with HBO, Disney plus, and, 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 you know, even Amazon prime that, you know, content can be created and, you know, companies are willing to invest in the content. And, and so, it all of a sudden becomes less of an asset, more of an expense. And when you look at Netflix's, like the business model for Netflix from that perspective, all of a sudden it's a very expensive, you know, business model to run. And, you know, when you combine that with, you know, inflation and the need to increase prices, it just becomes a very tough business model. And, and obviously, you know, Netflix itself has obviously grown quite quickly. So I think you know, thinking about more of a cost, uh, you know, more of a cost-based or, or more of an efficient structure um, is quite important when you think about, you know, how do you manage this business model, especially when there's a lot more competition over the past, you know, two, three years versus years in the past. Oh yeah, the streaming wars. I mean, my goodness, the the yeah. amount of competition. I mean, as a as a, a consumer, the one thing I would say is the content is fabulous and i'm happy on that end to see all these creatives getting an opportunity to to kind of flex their muscles but but i think i think it's absolutely fierce to be a company in that space i've got a just a very quick funny story to tell you that your your your, your thing about marketing spend your comment about minimal marketing spend made me think of i once heard this pitch um happened to be it was a a, a south asian marital website. So you would go on here, you would meet someone that you could, you know, then end up with. And I remember doing the entire pitch, I thought, my God, customer acquisition would be absolutely awful because you would pay to acquire these people, they would meet each other, and then you would lose them. So if you were great at what you did, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. If you were great at what you did, you did, you wouldn't retain customers. And totally. I couldn't through the whole pitch keep thinking about, I can't handle this. I can't handle this. But anyways, it just <laughs> made me think of that whole thing about marketing spend. So talk to me about, I mean, so we've talked about competitive advantage. We've talked about some, some sort of customer 
uh, things around the customer, uh, customer locking in the customer's marketing spend. How, what about profitability and gross margins? I mean, how much do these, these matter? Yeah. So I'd say, you know, it, it, it matters quite a bit, right? I'd say, you know, every, like, you know, the revenue dollars are quite important. And, and you know, when you tie revenue dollars that are coming in, you want each dollar to go to the bottom line as much as possible. And this is ever more important as you scale. And so obviously as an investor, we love companies with scale. And, and mm-hmm. in order to measure how a business is scaling, you often look at the marginal incremental profitability. It's why software companies in that sense are so great because a change in revenue should ultimately lead to a minimal change in cost and or have a minimal change in cost associated with it. And so the incremental operating margin of increasing revenue is massive, right? And so as you're growing a company, you always need to look at, okay, how much is my revenue growing? Is it, you know, is the increase in cost proportionate to that? Is it less proportionate or is it more proportionate? And how do you manage that so that, you know, profitability is growing a lot faster um, versus the cost, right? And, and that is the power of of tech, right? I mean, that, exactly. that is, yeah, the, you know, that's what you look for in that particular uh, particular vertical. The other thing that I that I find um, is this obsession with growth uh, with technology companies. Maybe there's an obsession with growth across the board, but because um, in some of the work that I do, I cover technology companies. I feel like I always hear about growth. You know, language about growth, plans for growth, 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 and pitches. Everything that you hear, um, when can it signify a bad thing? Yeah, I mean, it's quite natural to believe that, you know, more growth equals better valuation, right? And I think until recently, there's been less attention paid to it, whether it was profitable growth or just pure growth, right? And so let's say, for example, on the note of profitability, if growth can actually translate to long-term positive cash flow, you're not really growing the company in a meaningful way. Sure, the top line might be, you know, might appear as though it's growing, but if it doesn't translate to the bottom line, you're just, you know, getting dollars and you're also spending the dollars, but you're really not going anywhere and you're just spending. Um, the second piece that I see quite often is, you know, just having a lack of competitive advantage, right? And, you know, early on when you have that first mover advantage or if you've discovered a new market, let's say that's fine. And, and, you know, oftentimes you are able to grow quite quickly. However, if there isn't a competitive advantage and Netflix, as an example, is, you know, a, a pretty good one, you know, over time as capital dollars flow into that market and it, you know, becomes hyper capitalized, you know, growth does slow down. And what you'll end up having is a cost structure that is created for high growth and, you know, a much larger size versus what you might be able to attain while growth is slowing down. And that ultimately means layoffs and, and, you know, having to kind of raise in down runs, down runs if you're a startup and, and, you know, just a lot of, you know, terrible outcomes uh, for everyone involved, right? Investors, founders, employees, customers. And, And so, you know, definitely, two outcomes that you want to avoid. So you always want to make sure that the growth is actually profitable growth, not just growth for the sake of growth. You know, that, that line that you just said is, is 
I think so important, the lack of uh, a competitive advantage in a hyper-capitalized market. I think that's the key thing. I mean, I think of you know, just coming back to Netflix, it's just even the appearance of Disney, right? And even yeah. some of the other bigger players. And And you could easily kind of, I think, you know, one could say that you could see what was coming around the corner, right? right. Because of Because of that scenario. Uh, wow. Okay. Uh, so much for me to think about here. Um, before I let you go though, <laughs> it's on the matter of companies going through, through, um, difficult times. Um, this is kind of, again, unrelated, totally selfish note. <laughs> I'm thinking about getting a Peloton. I do not know why. <laughs> and I thought I need to speak to someone sensible to talk me out of this. But first of all, let me ask you this. How do you stay fit? I can, uh, I can definitely do a better job of that, but I ended up getting gym equipment at my own place. So, uh, you know, so I could avoid kind of paying the gym subscription. So just mm. converted my garage into a gym or a mini gym. So to call it, um, it's funny. I got, or, or my parents got a Peloton and, uh, they stopped subscribing just cause, you know, it, they, they just preferred walking outside and, and getting exercise <laughs> outside. So, uh, I'm not sure if I'm the biggest fan of Peloton. I think it's great, but uh yeah. I don't know if it's worth the annual subscription or the monthly subscription. I think uh the bike itself is already quite expensive. You already need to get equipment associated with it. So uh I definitely think there are more cheaper options out there. But uh So don't do it. Okay. Well the um so the I the lifestyle do... choice, I, yeah. I I'd imagine. Well it's it's interesting because I um I you know the funny thing is, is that I do belong to a gym right now. And I, and I think that's important, but as time becomes tighter and and I take on more things, I'm kind of looking at how I can do it differently. I'm not convinced having equipment at home is going to make me do this, but, uh, but anyway, okay. I needed the wisdom of another person today to let me know not to do this, that I'm probably just having a difficult day and, and wanted to make a quick decision on some front. And today's not the day to do it. So you've talked me out of it. A great topic. So then, um, I can't wait for our conversation next week. Are we, are we good for go? Good to yeah, go next absolutely. week? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. Thanks All so right. much. Yeah. Okay. See ya. Bye.